On this episode of The Phantom Jukebox, we witness pure, brutal insanity with Charles Manson, The Beatles, and the Helter Skelter scenario. Welcome to the Phantom Jukebox, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Ty Lindsay. And I'm Joseph Shannon. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's a whole new year. Hope everybody had a great Christmas and holiday. Yes, definitely. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Welcome. Way to start the new year. Exactly. Uh, how was your Christmas and uh, New Year's, Joe? It was pretty good. Pretty calm. calm. I like that. Just the immediate family members, nothing too crazy. Nice. I had... Uh, I think I, I I scaled probably a good quarter of Florida in my <laughs> it was it was well worth it, but uh I definitely like got to that work week pretty tired and crashed over the weekend. Yeah. So but well worth it though. New Year's New Year's for me was pretty calm. I went to like a, a pretty pretty casual party and then came home and then just ate pizza at midnight. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I was asleep at midnight, if not watching like try not to laugh videos on YouTube. That's what I was doing. <laughs> you know, going into the new year laughing. Oh, yeah. Well, trying not to laugh even. <laughs> oh, okay, true. I mean, in the end, you laugh. That yeah. is the point. Going into the new year in a new spirit, a good spirit, I think that's, that's the way to go. Hopefully it helps. Hopefully, hopefully it helps. Hopefully it helps, and hopefully we can bring you guys into the new year with some entertainment. Uh, we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcast. If you could please rate and review us, uh, we'd appreciate five stars. I mean, if you think we did, I'd yeah. appreciate it. Um, if you hear any jingling, our uh, co-producer Ziggy is running around, or my, my little rat terrier dog. Uh, you can find us on uh, Phantom Jukebox on Twitter, Phantom Jukebox underscore. Facebook uh, is Phantom Jukebox, and Instagram is Phantom Jukebox Podcast. And apparently now, this might be a little, uh, slightly late to the game, Spotify has a rating feature now. Huh. Not so much a review feature, but they have a rating feature. Okay. We'd appreciate five stars on that too. I would very much appreciate that as well. Whether you think we deserve it or not. Five <laughs> stars is always nice. So as you can gather from the beginning of this, we are getting into uh, Charles Manson and the Helter Skelter scenario. And uh, for those who are, aren't really good with uh, or are comfortable with like, you know, murder scenes and stuff like that, I kind of just want to give like a forewarning now. Like this is not necessarily a, a kid friendly episode. Oh, um, I'm not going to get into uh, uh, NCIS, CSI levels of detail. OK, uh, I'm reading this. I'm reading it pretty by the book, by the numbers. I mean, I'm going to describe the scene and some stuff like that, but uh, it's not going to be like a cold case. What is it? Uh, case files, cold case files, something like that. Yeah. Uh, you cold know, case, Dateline, I think. I think it is. Yeah, it's it no uh, CSI, SVU. Yeah. We're not doing any of that. And he wound up bleeding them dry. You know, <laughs> not quite getting into all that. So, uh, And this is also a first for us because this is most certainly going to be a two-part episode ah yes so uh the way it's going to kind of break down is we're going to get introduced 
to uh, the Helter Skelter scenario. We're going to talk about Manson a little bit. Well, actually quite a bit because we got to get into his, we're going to kind of breeze past his early childhood, get into like the starts of him forming the cult. We have to, you know, I didn't, uh, I knew he was a, he wanted to be a musician, but I didn't realize actually how far he got with that. Huh? So we're going to talk about that and the beginnings of the cult and maybe the Manson family. And then we're going to get into, uh, uh, the crimes that they committed and eventually work our way past the murders. Uh, the, the murders might wind up on part two. Okay. But we're going to get a so lot don't- of. You don't really have to hide the children away just yet. Not yet. And I will definitely uh, give, that, uh, give that warning again. So don't, don't worry. Uh, definitely give people another warning. Because I know some people, like, uh, I'm not necessarily, like, squeamish, but there's some things, like, I'm not into, like, uh, I think they're called splatter films. Like, uh, oh, yeah, no. Hardcore, like, uh, uh, violent, gory movies. I'm not really into that either. So just giving people a chance. Yes. Because that's not our, our usual MO to get into a murder scene. But it is very much rel- relevant to what happens. So I think we're going to begin with how much do you know about Charles Manson, Joe? Um, serial killer? Um, not necessarily. I'm taking a shot in the dark because I don't know anything. Okay. Uh, more of a cult leader, not necessarily ah. a serial killer. Related to Marilyn Manson? No, but Marilyn Manson got his name from him. Oh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, Manson's name, I, I, don't, I don't know what his real name is, but it's, it's not Marilyn or Manson. Oh, okay. So his heroes are like Marilyn Monroe and Charles Manson. Uh, I think the weird kind of mixture. Uh, actually, <laughs> believe me, uh, believe it or not, I think... That was the point of it. Uh, this is a little off topic. From what I remember, there's a Jerry Springer episode. I'm not like a Jerry Springer fanatic, by the way. It's yeah. just he came up in a YouTube video I was watching. And uh, he calls himself Marilyn Monroe, I believe, because a Marilyn Monroe was somebody everybody loved, and Manson was everybody, some, a person everybody hated. Oh. So Marilyn Monroe is supposed to be a connection of two very... Uh, well, Marilyn Manson. Different Marilyn Thank you. Marilyn Manson, thank you. Uh, it's supposed to be the combination of those two viewpoints to make some huh. kind of weird dichotomy. That's the word he used. I'm very kind of hazy on it, but if you look at Marilyn Manson, uh, Jerry Springer, like Jerry Springer just asked him, like, why the name? And, go, and you find out that Manson's a pretty intelligent dude. Yeah, surprisingly smart. Whether or not his allegations are true or not about him being yeah. a violent kind of person, yeah. uh, he's still intelligent. So I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Crazy dude, though. Uh, but we're getting back into our own crazy with this. So what is the theory? It's called the Helter Skelter scenario, and it's a theory that the motive uh, for a series of murders that were committed by the Manson family were derived from Manson's interpretation of the Beatles' White Album. Huh. That. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let it sink in. I see it. You're squinting hard trying to trying to jam that square peg in that triangle hole. Yeah, it's not, I'm not coming up with anything. Uh, so again, helter-skelter scenario is the theory that the motive for the series of the Manson murders, the famous Manson murders, yeah, 
where uh, the the theory is that the motive for those murders was derived from the Beatles hit White Album that came out earlier that year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Breathe it in and accept the fact <laughs> that that's a thing that happened. <laughs> uh, so well, that's a theory that somebody put out in a court case. Wow. So, so uh, this isn't just Reddit. This is actual. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this theory was introduced by a lead investigator. Uh, I believe his name is Vincent Bugliosi. Bugliosi. I, it's it's a it's a tricky last name, but it's like Vincent Bugliosi. We'll hear his name a couple more times in this, and he was okay. It comes from his book called The Helter Skelter or Helter Skelter. Okay. Uh, well, he he did the trial. And then, of course, he's going to write a book about this, and he kind of notates this in Helter Skelter. Wow! And we'll talk. We'll we'll talk about that very, very briefly. Um, so whether or not this is true, I just want to say that a lot of this information kind of bounces back and forth between that book. So Helter Skelter, like it at least point puts this uh, this narrative in some kind of a timeline. Yeah. Uh, uh some kind of a timeline, and. Uh, you know, there's Rolling Stone articles, um, a couple like I think Vanity Fair had one, something like that. I've I've gone through a lot of like famous articles to compile this together to try to make some kind of timeline of this because this guy gets that uh, Manson gets real busy in like July of like what sixty eight I think it is. Wow, a lot happens. This is a very very dense episode. I don't think we could have covered this in one just yeah. one go. Okay, so. Let's start with the, the obvious. Who was Charles Manson? Uh, he was born November 12th, 1934. He was born to a young troubled mother and a con artist father, from oh. what I can gather. Um, not the greatest of childhoods. Yeah. As you can imagine. Not starting great right off the bat. Right off the bat, no. And there is, a, there is an argument for some of these people that go on to do horrible things that their upbringings were terrible. Yeah. Whether it's nature versus nurture. Exactly. Uh, But that doesn't necessarily justify anything. Like it's, there's an argument for it, but it doesn't justify, sorry, everything. So you are at your own point, your own person. So yeah, unless like you just have like maybe a mental, something going on mentally that prevents you from making uh, a, a regular type decision uh, you're responsible for all your actions you know yeah so you know 1934 he was born in 1934 and through the 40s he bounced around from a lot of like schools uh, uh, schools and like child like homes I guess you could say not uh, not necessarily like orphanages but you know when like uh, I guess close to that actually because like his parent a lot of his parents would like go to jail or just disappear and he would oh. be kind of be a, uh, a child of the state, if that oh. makes sense. If only they knew then. I mean, you can't. I mean, yeah, he's just a kid with a troubled, uh, troubled background at this point. And then, like, yeah, he just gets shuffled around between uh, a child home or, like, I don't know, like, a, eventually, I think he winds up in, like, a, uh, like a Catholic school at one point in his young years. He just, oh, keeps, wow. he just keeps getting shipped around to all these different places. And he keeps getting shipped around because he's a nightmare when he's there. Like, uh, in one of the places, he allegedly sets it on fire. Oh. Yeah, he is a nightmare as a child. Okay. 
Uh, Keith's really starting swinging. Oh, as out the womb swinging. Imagine a surprise <laughs> he didn't slap the doctor. Uh, 1951, Manson is transferred to the Natural Bridge Honor Camp, a minimum security institution. So 34, what's that? 34 to 51. We're in his teens here. Kind of like mid, mid to late teens, I yeah. believe. And he's already in like a, a minimum security institution. Oh, man. Yeah, so uh, we're gonna. So this this next little bit, I'm gonna maybe preface. We're gonna get into a little bit of rough territory here already. Um, uh, there's the murder scenes, but there's things he winds up doing that are pretty heinous. So brace yourselves. Okay. Uh, his aunt visited him and told administrators that she would let him stay with her at her house uh, and help him find work to try to make him a member of society. And he was even scheduled to have a parole in February of 1952. Uh, that, you know, that February 1952, he was going to have a parole hearing, you know, to get out. Wow. Okay. Thanks to his super awesome aunt that vouched for him. But in that January, so before, yeah, in January, he was caught uh, raping a boy at knife point. Oh. All right. So he's 18 when he, you know, he's caught doing that, therefore wow. kind of like ruining his parole situation. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, then he's transferred to the Federal Reformery in Petersburg, Virginia, where he committed further eight, uh, committed a further eight serious disciplinary offenses, three involving what they called homosexual acts. Well, I mean, if he raped someone at knife point before this, yeah, was he not charged? I mean... Well, at that, 18, I mean, he could be charged as an adult. Well, that's why he gets uh, sent to another place. He gets sent to the federal reformery. So before oh. he was at like that camp, which is, uh, which is a minimal uh, situation. Now he's going federal, baby. Like he gets, he gets but I'm big still, house. I'm still surprised he's not going straight to prison, you know? Well, I mean, he's going to the federal reformery. Oh, so basically prison. Pretty much. Oh, okay. I mean, he went from like a minimal security place, and now he's he's in a place monitored by the government. Re reformery doesn't, and prison just have you know different. In my mind, at least, it's it's different. But yeah, I, it doesn't sound like, based on what happens later, they did a very good job at reforming. No, no, and you're gonna find out like what with what he winds up doing that it's, uh, he kind of blames that on the state later in life. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, of course, that comes up. Of course. The government and the Beatles. The, yeah. Damn them both. But not the Beatles. <laughs> he doesn't hold the Beatles in contempt. Actually, oh. quite the opposite. Oh. Yeah, no, uh, the government, not a big fan of, but uh, he, yeah, we're going to get there with the Beatles. <laughs> uh, so he's then moved to a maximum security reformery in a, uh, Oh God, how do you say this? So eventually he gets moved to another like maximum security place called uh, Chillicothe in Chillicothe, Ohio. C-H-I-L-L-I-C-O-T-H-E, Ohio. Chillicothe. Yep. Chillicothe. <laughs> One of those places. It's Ohio. I'm not surprised. Ohio. Uh, where he is expected to remain until the release. Uh, and he, basically, he's expected to stay there until his 21st birthday in November 1955. Wow. So, like, 
well, another three years, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, he earned himself a stay. And, uh, but in May 1954, Manson is released on good behavior. Oh. <laughs> I don't understand. At that time, he, I bet they're really giving themselves a, like a pat on the back saying, look at the good job we did. He hasn't misbehaved in six months, but he'd ruined like nine people's lives. <laughs> you know what I mean? Seriously. Wow. What the hell, man? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's released on uh, 1954. He's released on a good behavior and then goes to live with that uh, aunt and uncle. Oh, does yeah. it get bad for them? Um, they don't say that anything happens to them directly, but I imagine uh, dealing with him is probably a lot. So yeah. he doesn't like murder them or anything, but like, I mean, they have the stigma of like, if anybody else find out what he, found out what he did, which I'm sure people talked about. I mean, imagine their lives are kind of stained as a result. Oh, yeah. Oh, they have the Manson kid, you know. Uh, and he's in uh, McMeckin. I'm not sure where that is. Ohio? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> McMeckin. <laughs> that just sounds like an uh, off-menu McDonald's item. <laughs> Would you like the... But you have to say it like with a whisper. Would you like the... McMeckin. <laughs> but it's like a chicken sandwich or something. <laughs> With Big Mac sauce on it. Big Mac sauce, yeah, the McMeckin. No, it's a robot chicken sandwich. <laughs> All right, so between 1955 and 1967, uh, so, th so there's so much. Yeah. So this isn't necessarily Already. just the story of Charles Manson. And we need to get to um, what, you know, the, his connection to the Beatles later on. So. If you're interested in Charles Manson, there's a lot of people that have gone back in detail that go through his life. And wow. uh, I have, I've listened to some uh, Time Suck with Dan Cummins covered him pretty well, too, about his life and then to the murders. Yeah. Uh, we're focusing on the connection to the Beatles, the Beatles White Album, which we're going to get to. So I kind of condensed a lot of his early years and then go into extreme details. Okay. Um, basically, up between 1955 and 1967, I'm going to give like a quick, a quick, very dense summary of what his life was like. Uh, between 1955 and 1967, he would go back to jail, uh, get out, get married, have a child, get divorced, and then become a pimp. Oh, nice. All in that uh, 12-year span. <laughs> He was a busy boy, a uh, busy boy doing nothing. Uh, so in one of his incarcerations, you know, he's, he spends a, like most of his early life behind bars or in some kind of institution. Like there is, yeah. it's sad how little time he actually spent as a free man once he got out or like if he put all the time he didn't spend in prison together, it's not that much. Well, I mean, it's not that much, but he did a lot with it. Yeah, those in those instances that he got out, like he would, he would just equate to basically like, I think it's something like twenty three years total in jail. Yeah, I mean, I think there should be a limit of how many times you can get out on good behavior. You know, like if you if it's your fifth time in prison, what are you doing? Mayhaps revisit the get out on good behavior clause. Yeah, <laughs> let's uh, let's reanalyze that one because I'm not because it's obviously it obviously failed. Yeah. In like, this case, 
specifically. Now, yeah. Could you imagine being one of the people on that parole board and then watching the news of what's going to happen in like the 60 and like what, like 68, I believe when the murders take place mm. of like a famous actress and her like, you know, upper echelon friends in like just like a, like a pretty nice California neighborhood where that, where that shit doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. Imagine, I, I couldn't I, I don't think I could sleep anymore if I was like I signed the paperwork letting him out back in 1950 oh, but wow. you know yeah nah that's you need to really really I mean this is also the 50s too so we're not get we don't uh I don't believe there's a lot of FBI if any FBI or uh, if like the FBI is just starting actually around this yeah. point so like prof like mental profiling and uh really really paying attention to people's like psyche is now just coming into the forefront so maybe yeah. we need to maybe through that lens i don't know i don't know how you want to look at it but that's the thing too i mean imagine just being like a cop in ohio and you see that on the news and you're like i just gave him a warning for speeding Oof. maybe if maybe if you know he was going like 20 over maybe if i actually arrested him for it because that's a felony yeah you know Maybe that wouldn't have happened. I know. That's a just the ways like the the I mean, there's obviously the people that immediately and directly that the lives that he ruined and took, but there's also the people in the periphery of like that kind of like pseudo yeah. could have done something about it slash survivor's guilt where it's like, oh man. You yeah, know, exactly. That's this is the kind of impact this monster had. Wow. Uh and these are on the victims. And then we're gonna get into what he did to like what impact he had on his like willing followers. Like huh. this guy, like uh, the charisma on this guy is basically, I think I t entitled that section, the power of charisma. Cause really this, this is really what this guy had was like off the charts. Yeah. So, uh, so up to 67, he, uh, you know, like I said, gets married, has a child, gets divorced and becomes a pimp. Uh, becoming a pimp, by the way, is a skill he would continue to use throughout the rest of this journey. Oh, um, basically being able to manipulate women and the way to get what he wants from other people is going to become very valuable to him later wow. on. It's it's yeah, it's pretty sad. Uh, but in one of his incarcerations, like one of his bouts and many bouts in jail uh, during one of those stretches, he begins to learn. Uh, guitar and wants to get into the music industry i mean seems about right you know yeah. that's the right course of action you know jail pimp <laughs> musician that's usually how it goes yeah yeah oh fun fact uh, uh allegedly he allegedly danny trejo was in the same prison really as Charles <laughs> dang yeah it's fun fact imagine being in the prison with machete <laughs> yeah but Danny Trejo was a bad dude back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, he was a fascinating person, though. I love him. Fantastic. Uh, so 1967, he receives permission from his par uh, uh, parole officer, Roger Smith, to move uh, to uh, from Berkeley to the uh, hot Ashbury district in San Francisco. So we're in California now. Okay. Oh, uh, forgot to mention another another side fact. He also allegedly auditioned to be in the music group The Monkeys. Oh, if you're familiar, which are yeah. there, the Monkeys were kind of like the American answer to the Beatles. 
And then yeah. the monkeys had like a TV show. They were kind of like a fake but real band. If yeah. that makes sense. Kind of like the Partridge family. I'm a, I, I like some of their music. but Yeah, but I mean, they were mostly like performers and they were like a TV show that happened to have a band that made good music as opposed to just being a band like the Beatles. Yeah. They were literally like a copy of the Beatles. Huh. So he gets his, he gets permission uh, from his parole officer to move to San Francisco. Uh, Also then in 1967, he starts to get followers already. Wow. So he's got the women he's pimping, but he kind of uses them around a little bit. And also like, it's it's kind of like one of those things like it's easy like it seems to me from like what I was reading like it was easier for him like once he got a few dedicated people to rely on him and like you know kind of got sucked into like his like charm and especially we're talking a lot of his followers are attractive young women ah uh, uh, he's kind of using that to lure people literally like lure other people in like it's not all women but a lot uh. of them are women and he's he's getting a little bit of like some people into not a cult yet but people that are following this dude around because we're in the sixties uh, entering the seventies. And this is like the free love, you know, the Vietnam war is going on. Wow. The hippie movement is like rampant. Like it's running strong right now. So like communal living and, you know, multiple partners and things like that is, it's just widely accept. Well, I'm in that community widely accepted. Cause yeah. you get the people that strongly oppose it. And then you got the people that are all for it. Like the, the split couldn't really get much further. Yeah. Uh, Cause you've got the parents from like the baby boomer generation and then you've got their kids turning into hippies. Yeah. So like you got very straight laced people and then people that are living in like teepees and Woodstock. It's, it's crazy to think just how different that generation is because you think if Charles Manson was, you know, born 10 years ago, I don't think he would have had the same path. He might not have had those opportunities, too. Yeah. Because drugs play a big part in his ability to control people. So he got like it. Basically, he is the right monster at the right time. Yeah. Uh, And I'm not I mean, he's not. uh, I'm not going to say maybe like a a genius. Yeah. He's a master manipulator, but I don't know if that genius goes in with that. He's. If you put him, let's just say, like, if you could, like, have, like, this updated monster of a person, like, today, I do think maybe he could have found his way into doing this. Mm. And maybe it wouldn't have, like, gotten so big. But, I mean, like, think about the pull, like, I don't know, like, the pull, like, the internet has on people. Yeah. And then, like, how quickly, like, you can... um, I've seen people, like, troll, like, impose, like, a fake argument that's obviously a lie. Yeah. And then a bunch of people will swarm and defend it as soon as people are like, okay, this is ridiculous. And then immediately they turn on the people saying it's ridiculous. Wow. I think he would probably use the internet if yeah. that was him today. But instead, in you know, in the sixties, he's using drugs. And then new like people are trying to find like, I don't want to believe what my parents believe in. You know, they're just like regular Christians. You know, I want to listen to like, you know. Uh, different philosophies uh, like gurus are a big part of this too. And, you know, East, a lot of Eastern philosophies coming in. Hmm. Uh, And he's definitely like taking all these different elements uh, because he studies like different religions and stuff too. And he learned how to use religion as a controlling device. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's pretty damn good at this. It's like no matter what he learned, 
he learned it with malintent. Oh, yeah. You no. know? Imagine if I could focus that energy on doing something good. Yeah. Being like a motivational Seriously. speaker, you know? Like, you know, like, and you had, had the perfect background for it. Like, I hate to say that about anybody who's got, well, no, like, I hate to say, but like, you know, the rough and tumble childhood he had and all the horrible things that he did. Yeah. And then like, let's say he reformed himself, actually got reformed, come out, could, you know, say like, hey, you can change too. It'd yeah. be a powerful message, but no, he's going to become a monster. Yeah. And the leader of a bunch of other monsters. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, namely, uh, there's there's four of them. Namely, uh, da, da, da. let's see where we're at. So yeah, so he went to. Uh, he's already got a number of followers, and he goes from San Francisco to L.A. We're in Los Angeles, California yes. now. Uh, so in Hollywood, Manson began to work his music industry connections. Like he met some people, like actually in prison. Oh. Uh, there's a couple people he met and then like, he would just like work his way, you know, using, you know, again, using women and whatever means he had to make music connections to worm his way into the music industry, huh. like gnashing and clawing, like in the sleaziest, dirtiest way possible. Wow. Just trying to get in there to get to the right people. And he got surprisingly close. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so he began to work his music industry connections and he was soon making inroads with music producers and actors, including actor Al Lewis. Al Lewis remembered Manson as a nice guy and had, uh, had Manson babysit his kids on several occasions. Oh, wow. No bueno. No. Could you imagine being that guy when the news reports came in? Oh, seriously. That could easily have been his children. Kids looking up at the at the TV, you know, being like, hey, that's our babysitter. He's like, what? What? Yeah. Good Lord. Uh, uh, could you imagine? So at some point, the sentence may have been uttered. Uh, Mr. Charlie, can I have mac and cheese? <laughs> Just somebody's kids, man. Yeah. And I imagine he totally did it, too, to probably get in with that guy. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, I didn't give a shit about those kids. But if I take if, you know, if these kids are still alive when this guy comes back, maybe I get to talk to some music producer. He knows. Wow. Yeah, I did to bump elbows with the right people. Jeez. Yeah. He also would come to know Universal producer Gary Stromberg. And this guy actually granted Manson a recording session. Wow. Yeah. So we have some of his music to play. So we saying? have some of his music to play, as a matter oh of fact. Uh, so I thought I could play this for you to get what your thoughts are. Uh, first, what genre? Um, folksy blues, maybe. Okay, let's we'll see. Let's see what you think. There's a time for living. The time keeps on flying Think you're loving, baby And all you're doing is crying Can you feel? Ah, those feelings real Look at your game, girl I hate Look to say not the worst it's not the worst but with especially like with tiktok nowadays he'd probably be very famous i bet you you know what damn right about he would 
I wish you could see the picture I'm looking at. <laughs> it's that bug-eyed picture of the bugshot. Good lord. Yeah, so that's just, I mean, that's a, a short song called uh, Look at Your Game, Girl. Wow. Uh, and so before you get too attached, uh, listeners out there, I just want to have you know that is Charles Manson. And he's a profound racist. Oh, <laughs> so don't don't uh, before you dish out too many compliments. I just thought it was interesting yeah. to point out that he got a recording. <laughs> no, he's wow. still a piece of shit. And he was a piece of shit at this point, too. Wow. So, <laughs> ah. But it's crazy. And, the you know, and it's not it's not uh, it fits that folksy genre. And I think he would I you think you're right. I think if he did that on TikTok right now. Yeah, probably had decent. Probably ball. have a shot. It's really sad that uh, someone so terrible can have a lot more following than your local metal band. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> metal's a tough. Dang, it depends on where you are. Um, metal is a tough sell. Yeah, uh, yeah. Nowadays, nowadays it is a tough sell. Like a Florida, like we're in from Florida, so yeah, Florida is a tough sell for us. But I think. Uh, George has got a better scene. Really? I, I think George has got a better music scene, probably. Would have thought Tampa would have been great, but... Tampa was at one point, but the, it just the, the taste change. Oh. Like, it was a death metal capital of the world there for a hot minute, and then it shifted to... It's a lot of electric stuff. I think there's some punk going on right now, I think. Okay. So, meh. Yeah. Taste change. Uh, but uh, we can all relate to that man sends a piece of shit. <laughs> So I think we can come together in the day and acknowledge what a terrible, awful person he was. And sadly, with the right circumstances, and we're going to see why this didn't work out. So you hear that and think of some of the things you've heard from this era of music. And it's like, well, why isn't he signed? We're getting ready to come to that right ah, now. Okay. Uh, so Gary Stromberg found that Manson was unprepared, unreliable, and considered him untalented. Oh. So maybe like, I mean, that's just one song. I haven't gone through like Manson catalog or anything. There's a CD out there on Amazon. Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, for morbid curiosity reasons, you know, but uh, a lot of blues, like he's like a blues inspired guy, if you want to call it that. But uh, maybe the rest of the songs are shit. And that's like the lightning in the bottle for him. Huh? Maybe. I don't know. But uh, by far Manson's most valuable connection, however, and the one that would get him closest to achieving his uh, musician, musician's goal is that uh, he made basically his female cult members, and they're kind of getting more culty now. It's not, okay. it's not like official, but we're real, real close. Um, his, his followers, let's call them at this point, were like hitchhiking. And uh, through hitchhiking, they met Dennis Wilson, of the Beach Boys. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So through uh, the the Beach Boy, Dennis, Will, uh, Dennis Wilson, they he kind of tries to like, this is the guy he really like, he puts all the money on Wilson. Like, this is the guy that can help me get it. Yeah. So I'm going to do whatever I need to with this guy uh, to get it to happen. And Dennis Wilson would become friends with him. Uh, well, let's say... Uh, associates because uh, Dennis Wilson tried to promote Manson's music so he tried to help him out huh. like he actually did try uh, up to the point where he lent Manson hundreds of thousands of dollars to help him record an album which I believe is the money used to record what we just listened never to never doing that again probably 
Uh, well, he did it in exchange to be able to have sex with his female with Manson's female followers. Oh, nice. So, you know, from amicable reasons. Yeah. Yeah, being it's gonna be tough going back to the Beach Boys. Because <laughs> <laughs> like you listen to like uh, you know picking up good vibrations and you think there's a piece of shit involved with this band. <laughs> <laughs> so like I understand like different lens different time period a lot of people you know they're sleeping with all kinds of people and we're yeah. talking like communal living's not necessarily normal but it is well accepted like communities of people that just swap partners and things like that yeah but these women were like used as currency wow and this guy accepted that currency yeah he's a piece of shit too yeah <laughs> so this is this is this might be one of the darkest episodes we covered uh, probably. I think this is probably going to be. If this episode isn't part two, is certainly going to be. If if there's no Christmas trees in this one, then I mean, <laughs> oh god, then I think it, yeah, it's Ooh, beat the last darker, episode. Fucking World War Two or this? I don't know. That's World War One. Sorry. Yeah, World War One. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Um. So. uh Dennis Wilson also convinced the rest of the Beach Boys to record one of Manson's songs that he wrote. Wow. I've got the, uh, I've got the name for it. We're going to come to it later. <laughs> I've got the name of it. I need to go back and listen to it. I didn't have time, but I was like, what the hell? The Beach Boys played a song by Charles Manson. I don't think it was a big single or anything, but uh, wow, that's we'll, crazy. We'll it might have been. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I, don't, I didn't follow them that much. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm just I just keep picturing the <laughs> surfing USA, surfing USA, and then just oh man, somewhere behind that is just this crazy mugshot of Charles Manson, the one where he's like really bug eyed, just like slowly <laughs> becoming more and more opaque in the image. God, oh, that's man. dark. So. uh uh, he came into the Beach Boys to record one of Manson's songs. Uh, Wilson's manager also, um, uh, Wilson let the uh, the Manson family, like now, now let's say they are the cult. Uh, okay. The Manson family, like they're called the Manson family. They're not all related, by the way. So it's oh. just to avoid the confusion, because they called it to. So they would refer to themselves as the family. Ah. Uh. And with Manson being the leader or, you know, the father. Uh, but, you know, they're not related. They're just people that have come together. Nice. So, yeah. Bad people. Bad. A lot of, so not, so in the beginning before they do all the horrible, before the, uh, uh, the a lot of them are just follow their followers. And there's a few that are like dedicated, let's call them disciples that wind up doing really, really heinous things. Okay. But a lot of them, to give the benefit of a doubt, are misguided people. Yeah, oh. like I'm going to break that down further on. But a lot of them are just really misguided. You know, they're lost. You know, they're trying to find their way. Like, I'm not living like my parents anymore. So stepping out of that, like, nuclear family bubble into this, basically having too many options to compromise, to uh, 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 calculate, pretty much. Yeah. You're just being overwhelmed with options. You know, and then you just have somebody that takes advantage of a moment of weakness. Wow. And then uh, suddenly you find yourself in the back of a car on your way to go kill some people. 
So it just it doesn't they don't immediately go into murder spree. This is uh lots and lots of careful and calculated mental manipulation to get to this point. And a lot of like documentaries on cults uh or like a, there's a there's a series on Hulu that actually does a really great uh explanation of it. And I think it's the uh it's the cult of whoever was uh Chloe in Smallville, the blonde haired yeah. actress, the Nexium cult or something like that. Oh yeah. She was part of a cult and there's a lady that was in it that uh, said like, you know, as you're, you're, it's kind of like uh, gaining weight. You don't see it all at once. It's it's a gradual thing, yeah. and then it's like suddenly, you know, five years later, you're getting branded. This is the Nexium cult. You're getting like hot iron branded, like on your pelvis, uh, to wow. get initiated into the cult. <laughs> like it's it's pretty crazy. Like um, that's on Hulu. I think it's Bizarre Religions and stuff like that. Yeah, great series. Uh, but that's what's happening to these people. It's just really slow, calculated indoctrination. Baby steps. Baby steps. So, like, except for, like, a good maybe, like, 20 of them, let's say, there's a lot of these people that are just lost souls that have wow. been taken advantage of. They get the benefit of a doubt. Yeah. There's people that cross that line, though. And we'll learn their names. Um, so eventually Wilson's manager finally evicted the uh, Manson family out of Wilson's home. Like he had let them stay there for a while. Uh, they were kind of like, kind of really, I mean, obviously Manson's going to overstay his welcome anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and it's getting like, it was getting too weird. And then, uh, uh, Wilson's manager finally got the family out, uh, in August, 1968. So, um, Wilson, the beach boy before then had introduced Manson to a, uh, man named Terry Melcher, M E M E L C H E R Melcher. Okay, I think that's how you say it. Who's the son of Doris Day? Uh, and Terry Melcher was a record producer, and Manson wanted this guy to sign him for like a record deal, and then Melcher was kind of like, I'm not so sure. Like Melcher would drag his feet about this because he really didn't want to do it. Okay, understandable. So yeah, this was uh this is getting to be like this is the make or break moment for Manson's music career. If he can get in with this guy and get a record deal, he'll get like a record. This is the guy that's produced the the uh the Beach Boys. I think he did the Kokomo song, um t- the Tambourine Man, whatever band that was. He's done this guy's huh. done some big stuff. Wow. And this is a guy yeah. he wants to get involved with. And he and this guy was dragging his feet, so he hadn't like officially said no, hadn't officially said yes, did what he could to avoid the topic. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Mansons and him were like friendly, though. Okay. So like, he was friends with them. Uh, Terry Melcher, who was also dating up-and-coming Hollywood star Candace Bergen, or Bergen, B-E-R-G-E-N, uh, and they were renting a house at 150 Celio Drive. That address become very important later. Okay. Uh, both Wilson and Manson frequently visited Bergen and Melcher, Melcher at the uh, Celio Drive house in California. So eventually we get to the point where uh, uh, Melcher is not going to sign Manson and basically flat out says like, hey, you know, tried to be delicate about the situation, but uh, you're terrible. I'm not going to do it. Wow. You know, I'm just, I'm just not, you're not going to get signed. Good luck in your future endeavors. 
uh yeah uh what's what, what's the term i've heard it's an opportunity for re-employment or something yeah. like that uh so yeah he's just like no i'm not gonna uh i'm not gonna sign you not gonna happen so that caused the relationship between dennis wilson and manson to like sever like he's pissed at wilson now okay uh and to add um a uh uh like a cigarette burn to all this uh manson's song cease to exist was released as a beach boy single in december 1968 and the title had been changed to never learn not to love wow never learn not to love so they changed the title of his song and and to think a record label doing something shady with wow. somebody's written material hmm, quit that you'd never see that happen but it couldn't have happened to a better person. Yeah. So it got released as a single and uh, Manson's blues influences had been swapped for that beach boys pop sound that we're familiar with. Okay. And uh, he was denied a songwriting credit. Wow. So Manson did not get credit for writing the song, even though that he brought them, let's say the raw material that they then forged into a single. Okay. Which so at the very least, if he was anybody else, yeah maybe except for like another serial killer uh or cult leader he should have gotten for sure like writing credits for it yeah um if he was a good guy if he was a good guy well if he was a good guy he probably wouldn't have even got denied in the first place no uh in response to being snubbed like this a manson threatened to kill dennis wilson oh i'll send you some good vibrations Oh, so uh, between the threats uh, combined with his uh, general lack of talent, his violent temper and blatant racism. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know what else doesn't help aside from being uh, threatening people with actual death and people believing you're going to do it? Uh, Violent temper, your blatant racism. You know what else uh, doesn't help? with your career what and is I think a number of Hollywood stars uh, learn not to mix these kind of politics in with your professional career uh, if you have a tendency to rant about an upcoming race war you're probably not oh. probably going to find yeah. it difficult to get recorded by somebody so yeah he wasn't trying to hide any <laughs> of this behavior no 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 this is we're just getting out of the 50s so let's just say uh no, sorry, we're out of the 50s into the 60s. Um, the concept of racial equality is beginning to bloom. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let's just it's so racism is way more rampant at this point in time. But even for that, Charles Manson is pretty bad. Like uh, wow. even on that list of uh, pieces of shit, he's just like king turd of piece of shit mountain <laughs> you know what i mean wow oh, i just like they, they threw that in there too uh and his tendency to rant about the upcoming race war wow uh, <laughs> yeah uh so that basically contributed to melcher uh just like just cutting him off yeah. and of course melcher being high end into the music industry uh yeah this guy's screwed you know because of course this guy's gonna talk so even though he works for Universal uh, Records, he could 
I don't know, have dinner with somebody at, uh, you know, Columbia Records. Yeah. I believe he worked for Universal. I think there might have been another guy for, yeah, there was another guy for Universal. I'm sorry. Melcher, I don't know if he worked for Universal, but uh, he was a, a producer. So he's going to go talk to other producers. So if, if Manson tried to turn around and then uh, chat up somebody else, they're like, oh, no, we heard you're crazy. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't want you anywhere near my name. So, and that's another lesson for everybody out there not to necessarily burn bridges. Yeah. Because people talk, especially when you get into like career territory. Oh, you yeah. You got to be real, real careful. Even if like someone is like the worst like supervisor or something to you, you just, you just say you're seeking career advancement or something like that. Leave yeah. a real exactly. general answer and leave. I promise you it works out better than trying to be like, yeah, up yours and then hoping to find a job yeah. afterwards. What I, what I like doing is you go and you ask for uh, you know, a little higher, higher pay somewhere else. And if you can get that job, or at least go to interview, have something lined up. Then with your current job, you're like, well, I'd, I'd love to stay, but I just assumed you weren't going to match this pay. And if you can, that'd be great. <laughs> hey. If you could do that, uh, I'd love to work here. Oh, but, I love it here. <laughs> yeah, just make sure you have stuff lined up, though. Yeah. A gamble doesn't always work. Uh, so according to, Be- to other Beach Boys member, Mike Love, uh, it was Melcher's mom, uh, Doris Day, who became alarmed at the friendship developing between Manson and her son. Oh. And so Doris Day convinced Melcher and uh, his uh, girlfriend, uh, Bergen, 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 to move out of the Celio Drive house in January 1969. Uh, and Melcher uh, told Manson, uh, again, that, uh, you know, just solidified the fact and like, officially cut ties like wow not working with you you're not going to get that deal up yours i'm out down to the point where, like he was scared enough from him to leave that house and wow. not come back yeah uh so as of the summer of 1969 uh manson's dreams of becoming a uh a hollywood star uh gone dashed See. but the concept of him becoming famous is not Ah. So he'd become infamous. Oh. So he'd get famous one way, but uh, yeah, he's not going to do it the right way, I guess you could say. And even doing it the quote unquote right way was pimping out women yeah. to uh, meet his sadistic needs. Oh, man. Yeah. So we kind of, it, this kind of gets blended in in 1968, 1969. And remember, this is all happening in the span of like two to three years. Okay. So 67, 68, 69. He is busy. Yeah. He's su- Manson is doing all kinds of stuff. Like, he's so busy. Uh, so kind of in that 68, 69 era, yeah. Manson really gets into LSD. Oh. I don't think LSD was necessarily, like, legal, but it wasn't necessarily, like, the hardest thing in the world to get your hands on. Oh, well. You know, I just, yeah, I didn't make my uh, musician's career as I wanted, but hey, there's a new drug out. Let's try that. <laughs> Time to trip, man. Uh, Manson would also get, get into like reading books like Stranger in a Strange Land um, and really getting into like, uh, th- this book talked about like, uh, it was a fi- science fiction novel by Robert 
a Heinlein. Heinlein, I hope I got that right. And uh, it, it kind of like talked about like a free love philosophy. And this is kind of like where he's this. So the music thing ends and Manson now really gets into like studying religion and stuff. So now he's like, he's already a manipulator, but he's like, how do I become a better manipulator? Wow. So this is when he starts like doing his homework on said task. He actually begins to preach his own philosophy based on a mixture of the things he learned from stranger in a strange land, the Bible, Scientology, uh, Dale Carnegie and our boys, the, the four top, uh, the, was it the uh, fab four, the Beatles? Wow. Uh, and he kind of gets to a philosophy based on the Beatles, man. That's so crazy. Yeah. So he quickly gets this following going. Because uh, one, again, like he's already got these like pretty women hanging around him and stuff like that. He's got maybe like 20 or so people hanging yeah. around him at all times. So it's, it's kind of easier to pull these people in using these, you know, using other people to get other people involved. And now he's actually like preaching. So the cult is like, wow, the cult has now entered like a solid second gear if it hadn't already. Yeah. I wonder if he did, if that producer had said yes instead, and he went on to do music and not do more research on how to manipulate people. Mm -hmm. If he would have just been a terrible person and not a monster, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, even like, so even if like, let's say he doesn't become, uh, let's say he gets the music deal. Let's say that happens and he doesn't go down, you know, he doesn't turn left. You know, he, he goes down the original path. He's still done horrible things to get there. Yeah. Uh, we you know he's still pimping people out and, uh, he's still a racist. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like a terrible person, yeah. terrible person, yeah, yeah, yeah. but no one died. There's that still that stuff he yeah, did as like a kid, a, though. Yeah, that's true. Like, there's just no redeeming. Like, yeah, you have to go back to like before he was born to find a point where he wasn't <laughs> a monster. <laughs> like he was only good like at the he, before he entered the world. Yeah, you know, whenever he started walking is whenever he started gaining bad karma. The best thing you did in the world was not be in it for a while. Oh, ooh, ooh. I mean. <laughs> at that point all right so he would also start preaching at like uh college campuses too so these are like the hub where all these like curious and lost people are gonna gather and then he's just gonna go to like the vein of it all wow. where, right where they're all congregating okay nice so like he picked i mean he picks every like he's doing things very deliberately yeah uh and he's 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 very successful at it. He's super charismatic. Uh, there's a lady, for example. I believe she was a librarian. Uh, there's a lady who he didn't go to this college, by the way. He just physically walked up to the college. And I don't remember if you've ever seen like uh, at for me uh, at my at my college campus. There was this guy who didn't go there. He was an older dude, and he was almost like the end of times guy you see in like any you know, scene in like a city where he's got like the cardboard thing draped over him and he's ringing a bell and the end is nigh. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a guy who was like, 
but it was like just religious stuff. You know, he's like, you're going to hell if you don't repent. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. This is like not you're going to hell if you don't repent. Preaching like out there philosophies. Wow. This is the same kind of guy. It has nothing to do with the campus. He's just there. Right. So he doesn't go there. Nobody knows who he is. He's just this outwardly like, you know, looking out, looking at this guy, just some dude out on a lawn spouting some weird stuff. Huh. Right. Even with all that, with his charisma, he's able to talk this one lady into letting him sleep at her house. Wow. She has no idea who this guy is. He doesn't go there. He's not a student. He's just literally a dude who physically goes there. Like he's not a wow. he's not enrolled. He just goes literally on the property like he shouldn't and says all kinds of crazy stuff. And eventually he's like, hey, uh, beg your pardon. Do you have a spare room for me? <laughs> I'll give you 10 shillings. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, she, he got to sleep at her house for a while. I didn't really say how long, but like, yeah, he got like a free place to stay. He's going to, you know, time to wake how? up and go spread the nonsense. How do you, how, how do you let someone like that in your house? Dude, I don't know. I don't know. Like if he like slowly like dug at her over for a while or he's just that good at getting what he wants. Wow. That is, that is an insane that's rolling 20s every time. Yeah. Yeah. Really? This guy's rolling 20s, literally, every time. Um, so the, the individuals he targeted, which we kind of brushed over already, were emotionally insecure and the social outcasts. Like, he would sniff these people out like a bloodhound. Wow. It's like you're like your loners, your people that aren't. So he's not going to walk up to like the popular, you know, uh, popular girl or guy. He's not going to yeah. go to the football star surrounded by all his his uh, his uh, buddies or all of her friends in the clique, you know, and, uh, you know, chat him up and stuff like that. Because it's not going to work because you've got too many people around you to go. This guy's crazy. Even if he's talking yeah. to you, looking directly into your eyes and that is going right back to the Florence Foster Jenkins things. You need to be that friend. Yeah. To be like, this dude's fucking crazy. Get away from me. Yeah. Be that friend to be like, maybe we re- rethink this. Maybe we rethink wasting our time with this dude. Yeah. Uh, because that's not going to work. He can't target confident people or people that are surrounded by other ones. Uh, at least not big groups of like determined or self-aware people. He's going to look for people that don't have anybody to give them advice. Oh. So he's a predator now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All these outcasts and stuff. And like, he just kind of gets them in because not only maybe they're like the, the social outcast kind of people, but like, he's like, Hey, uh, join me. Look at all these pretty women I have. You know, that just kind of sweetens the deal. Yeah. And just like continues to like just scoop all these people into his circle. So going to these campuses really like drastically increases his numbers. Wow. It's, it's, it's that's crazy. It's very sinister. Uh, so once, so now that he has these people, so now as he starts to gather people, um, he'll start to give them drugs. So he'll get like a, a, you just get LSD and give them doses of it. Just have them try it out. Like that's generally how it all, like it all starts with like, Hey, peace and love and all this kind of stuff. And then it's like, Hey, take this, open your mind, you know, that all yeah. that kind of stuff. But yeah. really is what he's doing. Cause that stuff messes with you. Uh, I haven't taken it personally. 
but uh from everything i've read about it like you you go off the walls like things start melting textures you can like see textures or taste textures or something like that like it wow. is it really messes with your senses and he would use them to like use this as kind of like a reset on people's brains to like kind of like obscure their sense of reality and kind of like and a lot a word that comes up a lot is reprogram huh like yeah. use that to like get them to like you know become the person that will get in a car and go murder people later wow yeah so uh that and uh so LSD and unconventional sex practices uh in the hopes of making his you know fo- like make them beyond followers like unquestioning unquestioning servants almost yeah uh Manson family member uh Paul Watkins testified that Manson would encourage his group to take LSD trips and he himself would take lower doses to keep his wits about him huh so it's the uh uh what is it uh what is it like the land of the blind the eye the man with one eye is king yeah something like that it's something kind of phrased like that but uh he would intentionally not go as far as they would and plus he had taken it before so he's also giving this drug to a lot of the people who are taking it don't know what it does or hadn't experienced that level of psychedelic before Huh. So it's it's a person who's like knowing what's going on and then he's taking advantage of the uh, how naive some of these people might be to what's going on. It's like giving everyone else shots of alcohol when you're drinking beers. Right. Exactly. It's like you're really messing them up. Yeah. While still getting messed up yourself. So now like not only are you so are they getting really, really messed up, but now their leader is still on so many doses of LSD. Yeah. So. Wow. So like everybody else might be drinking shots and you're drinking beers, but you've still had like eight beers. Yeah. And now you're going to go get in the car and drive home. Yeah. You know? In April 1968, Manson had gotten over 20 followers by this point. And all of this, by the way, is happening under the supervision of his parole officer, Roger Smith. Huh. Great guy. Um, so my question is, uh, to present how shitty is this parole officer? (laughs) So, and you know, I thought when I typed that, I was like, how shitty is this parole off? Is this dude that's letting this monster manipulate all these kids and stuff like that and give them drugs. But then I was thinking if he doesn't see them technically take the drugs and if they haven't murdered anybody yet, what can this guy really do? Because has has Manson technically, to what he could witness, have he technically done anything illegal in his eyes? Well, I mean, because forming a cult is not technically illegal, from what I understand. But also having a criminal record and going on to college, I don't know if it's illegal, but it's probably not a good idea. Well, he wasn't like a sex offender, like it, Well, he yeah. well he was. But oh, it wasn't, yeah. he wasn't like a, he wasn't like registered and I don't think there was anything barring him from going to any university. Huh. As still as the parole officer, you would think, hey, you're not going to school, so stop going there. But like, what is he doing? That's like, cause he would only be able to stop him from doing illegal things. 
and I don't, I'm not uh, like fighting for Manson here. Yeah. I'm just playing the devil's advocate of like, I kind of felt bad when I typed it because I think, uh, I don't, I don't really know how good of a parole officer Roger Smith is, but I also don't know how much he really could have done. But also, I mean, after the murders, do you think he lost his job? I would hope so. As a parole officer. <laughs> I would hope so. Cause his job is also to keep an eye on Manson. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're right. There is a point where it's like, okay, you, uh, in the world of dropping the ball, you have, you're the winner. <laughs> yeah. You're you. Congratulations. You so, won. I mean, yeah, you feel bad for Tyvin. How big of a piece of shit was he, was that parole officer now? Yeah. Yeah. But then later you find out. Yeah. He, he might've been a piece of shit. Maybe it's time to retire. Cause, uh, or yeah. get a new prescription. Cause you're blind as shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, I don't know. If forming a cult isn't illegal, it damn sure means you got to follow him a little more closely. I mean, at least, you know, maybe just, maybe just a little bit, maybe just, maybe just know, a little bit, just a little bit. Ask for some outside, you know, advice, experience. Double check. Throw up some questions. Throw up some questions. I <laughs> might trip him up. Like, hey, have you taken LSD lately? Yes. Ha ha. Ha ha. I got you. Thought so. Ha. That's what I was wondering, why you're constantly being followed around by 20 or so attractive young women? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was wondering why you paid for everything in cash. Well, this is the 60s, so yeah, he's paying for everything yeah. in cash. Hmm, yeah. Cash and women. You know, I knew there was something wrong when you showed up in a hat with a large furry feather, a purple robe with tiger <laughs> skin, and a large gold staff. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's all coming clear now. I, Roger Smith, your parole officer. Really on to something. Really on to something here. Plans. The, the fog is clearing. <laughs> I'll put it together eventually. He, they go in the building with one of the women, and then they leave alone. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Probably just playing dress up. Yeah. Solved it. Yes. And she comes out minutes later counting singles. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe she broke change. That's what it is. I've got it. Yes. I, Roger Smith. It turns, slowly turns into the BBC. <laughs> Elementary, dear boy. For she is a prostitute. <laughs> I went Matt Barry there for a second. She's the one with all the 20s. And everyone knows in town to come to her for change. Ah, yes. I've discovered it. <laughs> she is a living ATM. <laughs> ah, yes. They become sentient now. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Look at Sarah. <laughs> All right. So, that's <laughs> terrible. So, we learned how bad of a parole officer Roger Smith is. And uh, Manson's early life. And I think the last things we're going to cover on part one here is we're going to learn a little bit about the Manson family themselves. Oh. And uh, if there's time, maybe we're going to pop into their notable crimes. Oh. Yes. Yes. So, uh, who is the Manson family? Again, they're not all relatives. <laughs> I mean, maybe there is some... There's got to be like an actual family that's like the Mansons, <laughs> just like these sweet people that live <laughs> in like Kansas City, Kansas, Kentucky, some some place out there. Like you're just nice, 
you know, kind people. Hi, we're the Manson family. And they just, oh, and they'll never write a good Christmas card ever again. Yeah, no. <laughs> Greetings from the Manson. Oh, shit. <laughs> they don't have to be redneck. What, what they do? They, they did. What? <laughs> oh, my God. Now, what is this living ATM you speak of? Charlotte, burn the Christmas cards. <laughs> you already sent them out. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so the Manson family. So they began forming in the late 60s, like we said, and uh, they went until the early 70s. So <laughs> the Manson family in like six years ruined so many good Christmas cards oh. from actual good Manson actual Manson's. families. Uh, at its height, the group consisted of approximately 100 followers. Wow. Yeah, that's a cult. That's a cult. That's a cult. That's a cult. 20, I was like, ah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you're selling this pretty hard for 20 people, but then you get a, you get a full, you get a full Ben Franklin here. That's uh, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like 20 people that could just be someone who has a lot of friends, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 100 people, that's that's a cult. Could you imagine the amount of people that were like, hey, yo, yo, dudes, you got to meet this dude on the college campus. Let me introduce you to him. He's yeah. this crazy dude. <laughs> it's like, man, you haven't, you haven't been to school in like two months, and you've lost a lot of weight. What's been going on? Ignore that. Dude, dude, dude. Dude, do you notice, dude? Do you like LSD? Do you like... Do you like LSD? Do you like living ATMs? Braille, amazing. What's that thing Joe Rogan says? Have you tried uh, DMT? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, have you tried LSD? <laughs> Bro. <laughs> so, uh, so, again, most of these are young women from middle class backgrounds. Uh, many of whom were radicalized by Manson's teachings, uh, teachings and drawn by the hippie culture and communal living. Okay. So again, these are these outcasts. These are these young, a lot of them being young women. Being, it just starts off with like him being able to convince a few people, just enough people to look like he's normal. You know what I mean? Like it's a normal yeah. thing to be attracted to him or like he's got maybe like he was able to really, he really had to work his hardest, let's say, probably. With like five people. Oh, maybe yeah. Five to ten people. Maybe not ten. Maybe like five. Really had to get like work hard. And some of these are prostitutes that he's he's got on, you know, he you know, one way or another, he's got leverage on them. Uh so he's he's kind of got that. And then from there it just gets easier and easier to grow out yeah. this. Because the more people that he's got already following him around, the more normal it looks for them to follow him, you know? Yeah. So by yeah, the hundredth person was like, well, he's got 99 people following him. 99 people can't be wrong. Yeah, exactly. But they can. Oh, but they were. But they can't be very wrong. Uh, so they kind of like bounced around. Like when it was a smaller group, they would stay in like, you know, random kind of like apartments and stuff. You know, they stayed with the Beach Boy guy for a while. Uh, but eventually they would move down to a rundown ranch called the Spawn Ranch in Los Angeles County. Okay. So now they've got a compound. Uh, Manson would pay for use, would trade his use of this farm again with sex from his female followers. 
from like the people that owned the farm. Oh wow. The the guy that owned it or whatever, or like the people that ran it, like, you know, again, using his followers as a commodity, you know, and then he would get use of this farm. That's got some uh, hundred people walking around. Uh, members of the family were convinced that Manson at one. So eventually we get to like, he's convinced enough of these people and worked on them for a while that the most devout of his people believe that he is a manifestation of Jesus Christ. Wow. And believe that his prophecies, uh, and believed his prophecies concerning an imminent, uh, imminent apocalyptic race war. Oh. So that bullshit that he got fired from the record label from now he's like, oh, I'll I'll teach some people to believe in that, and then now that remember that bullshit from a while ago, yeah. Now it, that is what these people hardcore believe. Wow, these these dedicated followers. I imagine whoever owns the property, like their uncle, that gave them advice not to let those hippies stay there after the trials and everything else came out on the news is like i told you not to let them damn hippies live there i was right or like uh that guy could just never be wrong about anything ever again yeah <laughs> it's like i don't want to have asparagus you know what i didn't want you know what I, you know harry harry you know what i didn't want i didn't want some cult saying i'm a property <laughs> i think asparagus looks real good right now <laughs> You know, change your tune. You might change your tune to the sound of that asparagus. <laughs> you know how wrong you are? You know how wrong? A Charles Manson. That's how wrong you are. <laughs> Eat your asparagus. Better not miss a damn haircut again in your life. You better not miss. Better clean behind them goddamn ears. <laughs> I don't want to. You know what I didn't want? <laughs> you know what I didn't want? Maybe it's. <laughs> I'm cold hippies. Then I'm a property. Wow. Just never. Dude, I would, I'd move. Yeah. <laughs> if I was the guy that let that happen, I'd change my name, move to a different state, start over. Yep. I mean, this one's done. Light the match, set it on fire. There's <laughs> no right in that wrong. Make sure your credit cards and driver's license are in the fire. Yeah. Start a new life. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so this like race war thing starts to ramp up like he like so he kind of like started hitting on it in um a while back when he wanted that record label deal but now i mean he's just he's done enough acid himself where like shit's like speaking to him now yeah so the manson family then went full doomsday cult um when manson became i you know when he started really like getting into this apocalyptic thing they went straight doomsday like they're going to prepare for the end of times uh they're going to be the the shepherds of the end of days type thing nice like they he believed that this cult that he started referring to it as like the family like believing it to be a cult himself so like he believed like they are going to be the ones uh to uh usher in the end of days or play this huge big part of it that's the level of crazy we're talking we're going both barrels on crazy here Ah, like both hammers back. Yeah. So, um, if you want to, and I, and I'm going to kind of glance over some of that too. So, um, I'm doing what I can to like, keep this total under about three hours Yeah, <laughs> between the two parts. So 
um if you want to get in more of like his like apocalyptic cult war again i encourage you to get in like to to read more into his history specifically because what knowing that it was about that is what is important to us right now and then getting into the nitty-gritty of that doesn't necessarily play a part in the connections to the white album later okay so i will break down like i'm going to be breaking down the songs later on and how they connected back to uh his philosophies but ah um the race war stuff like also there's things i can't really quote for let's just say white supremacist reasons yeah there's there's language i'm not comfortable using okay therefore i'm i'm going to imply I will, i'll imply down. what i can but there's things i'm not saying yeah <laughs> and you can agreed agreed yeah so <laughs> yeah if you read about it you will understand why basically like the the two main factors you've got like white people and black people we're going to fight each other okay and uh you know they're going to try to kill each other off and then like at the end of it the mansons would be the leaders of the survivors okay uh it gets more specific than that but i am not quoting him yeah on that specific no. regard because it's a quote i cannot repeat um later in 1968 manson adopted the term helter skelter which comes from the white album uh and uh Basically, the term helter skelter to him meant the end of days, like the helter skelter is coming. Like that was his word for huh. the rapture or revelations or whatnot. Wow. Helter and then skelter by themselves okay. don't mean anything. But you huh. put the phrase together and the phrase means like kind of like disarray and chaos. Huh. Kind of like a dishevelment. Like it's not. Um, it has gained a more sinister meaning, but. uh uh, I think Paul McCartney got the name from like a bear ride or carnival ride. Huh. I think we refer to them in the States as like a twister slide. Something okay, like that. Yeah. It's like a fair thing. And they had one called the Helter Skelter and like the motion of it like inspired, inspired the song Helter Skelter on the White Album. Huh. So it doesn't mean this big grand evil thing. It was it was a lighthearted thing, but now it's been stained by Charles Manson. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a, it's a It's a phrase that uh, is synonymous with like violent chaos now, now instead of just kind wow. of like a dishevelment and being uncoordinated, you know? Wow. It's, it's gotten so much heavier because of what it's associated with and what it actually means. Um, so I think to wrap up, we are just going to get kind of like glance into the notable crimes other than the big murders, which are going to take place in part two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of give you a, a kind of a look into like what he's having these people do, like what these like these cult members are kind of getting manipulated into doing. Yes, the average run day rundown of a of a cult day to day basis. Maybe not necessarily day to day, but these are like some of the <laughs> let's just say some of the, these are some of the big assignments ah. that some of them would get sent on. Uh, so notable crimes. Uh, July 1st, 1969, uh, Tex Watson robbed a drug dealer named Bernard Lotsapapa Crow. Oh, Bernard Lotsapapa. Yeah, that's Lotsapapa. L-O-T-S-A-P-O-P-P-A. Lotsapapa Crow. Yep. Uh, Crow allegedly responded with a threat to wipe out everyone at Spawn Rants. And in response, Charles Manson uh, shot Crow on July 1st, 1969 at Manson's Hollywood apartment. Oh. So uh, that's one. Um, also, Manson 
notice that he doesn't ever try like you'll notice that he doesn't get his hands dirty a lot yeah. that'll be kind of a thing i notice with him like he doesn't uh he'll make a point to not be the trigger man on a lot of things well i mean why would you if you have a hundred man cult exactly um so after this so crow i mean he was a pretty medium to big drug dealer in california so after this uh manson uh would have the ranch patrolled and like armed uh patrolled by armed guards oh yeah after lots of papa yeah after lots of papa because <laughs> he doesn't want to get lots of popped <laughs> so now it goes from just being a place for a bunch of like you know hippies and free love or coming out and then the hippies kind of start talking about the doomsday thing and now it's got armored guards and now it's like a it's a compound wow so as a result of that uh it's busy busy july july 25th 1969 the manson family members bobby uh busoli mary brunner and susan adkins go to gary hinman's home to convince him to join the family and turn over assets manson thought hinman had inherited uh gary allen hinman was a music teacher and phd uh, at UC, yeah, UCLA and uh, at a point in the 60s, he actually befriended members of the Manson family. So huh. and it would let them stay at his house. So this guy is even friends with his family. And then Manson's like, oh, he's got money. So then he sends those dudes over to his, uh, those people over to his house uh, and they held uh, Hinman uh, hostage for two days because he wasn't going to cooperate. Wow. They hold him hostage for two days, like tied up and stuff. Manson shows up at like the end of that, that second day or whatever, because he hasn't given him the inheritance uh, yeah. that he believes that he has. Cause I don't think it's even verified that he uh, got this crazy, huge inheritance. Uh-huh. It's all allegedly and supposedly in the language that I was reading. Manson just believed that he had it. Uh, like maybe he inherited just like a nice dinner set from his great grandparents. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know for sure. Um, all the money amounts were alleged that i okay. read uh so manson uh like the damn highlander shows up with a sword and slashes his ear oh so he cuts Heinman's ear and then i guess uh busoli then proceeds to stab Hinman to death oh wow yeah uh and this of course allegedly on manson's instructions every single person that does a thing from manson it's always allegedly or uh he told me it's never Manson goes up to somebody and stabs them, and there is witnesses that see it. There is somebody that said he slashed somebody with a sword, which I believe he would. Uh, but he's never like he, like I said, he never pulls a trigger to like kill somebody. Well, like I mean, at said. this point, it's kind of like a mob boss. Yeah, exactly. It's like he's got people for that. Uh, yeah, and plus he can send them to jail. You know, yeah. they could go to jail, and he doesn't. Uh, all they'll do is just recruit more. Yeah, and like, and he and he's going back to like the worst parole officer of all time. Yeah, Lesigi, the one of the worst parole officers of all time. He technically hasn't done anything that that guy has witnessed that's illegal yet. Uh, Behind the scenes, he's doing all kinds of illegal shit, but the parole officer is blind to it. So, um, <laughs> so this is the. This is the beginnings of getting kind of brutal here. Okay. So um, warning, hide the children. This one's this one's not so bad, but it's 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 a little bit 
um, maybe I don't know. I don't want to say plug your ears, but it, it's it's a quick description. But there's blood involved. Uh, so he gets stabbed to death by Busoli. Uh, and before leaving his residence, Bisoli or one of the women used Hyman's blood to write political piggy on the wall of like his refrigerator. Oh, or like on his wall. Sorry. Um, yeah. And then they used it to draw a, uh, a panther paw, which is like a symbol for the black Panthers for some reason. Oh, okay. To relate it back to the race war thing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, allegedly, Heinemann, Manton believed Heinemann had this $21,000 uh, inheritance coming to him. And of course, that's in 60s money. Yeah. Uh, and Busoli was arrested on... Uh, <laughs> this idiot Busoli was arrested uh, August 6th, 1969. So, uh, you know, not... What? A week, -ish, week and change after. And yeah. he was caught driving Heinemann's car. Or Henson's wow. car. And then the police found the murder weapon in the tire well. How do you not? You have like, <laughs> dude, you have like a week and change. Like none of them are obviously professional uh, killers or anything like that. But I mean, you would think you'd have the fortitude enough to get rid of the, the murder weapon. And forensics isn't necessarily great at this point either. That's why a lot of this like kind of goes on for as long as it kind of does. Yeah. So it kind of goes to show like these are just kind of like uh, normal. Well, I don't know about Busoli, but I mean, like these are not necessarily like mobsters and gangsters here that are getting turned into these murderous people. Like these are like average kind of people being told to do like, these horrible things. So they're not going to be good at it. Nobody should be really good at killing anybody. I mean, in terms but, of skill. Yeah, they're probably not like that experienced. But I mean. As a what I like to think of as a normal person. Yeah. I don't think I would have the uh, fortitude to continue driving around the guy's car that I just killed. <laughs> I mean, I think that that would get to me a little bit, a little bit and a little bit. Maybe I think if it doesn't, maybe it might be something up with you. Mm. You know, it might just be the LSD. I don't know. Whatever screw is loose that lets you to join a cult in the first place. Yeah. So, yeah, these are all, all people in a cult. So, I mean, I don't think any of them can be called normal. No, no. Uh, lost and misguided for, cert, uh, for very much certain. Uh, also, I did a quick check. Uh, $21,000 in the uh, 60s, 70s money would be like roughly 170000 in today's money. Wow. A little over, actually. So, this is all alleged, too. I mean, maybe he was going to get it. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe it's a nice teacup set. Maybe it's almost $174,000. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, I think at this point, we're going to call it the end of episode one. Okay. Because uh, we still have the other half of this to go, and it is a bit of a doozy. Because So, the next episode, we're going to get into, we're going to, now that we've got like Manson's backstory, we're going to cover the White Album. Uh get into like who was at the men's you know who was at the we're gonna cover the sharon tate murders uh who was there you know how did this happen why did this happen yeah and then uh kind of like how he wound up like connecting the beatles songs huh. uh to like i don't know revelations okay <laughs> revelations comes up i got a couple quotes on those it's pretty insane awesome so um 
that being the end, I want to thank everybody for to uh, that words, words. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. That's what thank I'm trying to listening. get listening. It's really what I wanted to say. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you for reacting. Thank you for reacting. It's this was a heavy episode for me. I haven't quite covered uh, true crime yet, and we're going to get into the meat of it. So I'll warn you for the next episode. Uh, it's not going to be like a gore fest or anything, but details about some pretty violent murders come out. So ah, be prepared to be continued. To be continued. So thank you again, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can find our, our other back catalog on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review and rate us. Really appreciate it if you did. Yes, most definitely. And let us know on Twitter and Facebook what kind of stuff you like to see. I mean, is is this this kind of true crime z? but also still music-related, something you want to hear more of. Yeah, do you like true crime? I love true crime, personally. Yeah. Um, so, like, in, uh, in your review, can you, like, what did you do for New Year's? Why yeah. you put that in your review? Uh, if you need something to write about. Uh, for Twitter, that's Phantom Jukebox underscore. Facebook is Phantom Jukebox, all one word. And then Instagram is Phantom Jukebox Podcast. So, uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you, for Joe, for being a part of this. Most definitely. So, uh, I also want to thank uh, actual audio wizard, uh, Kenny Grooms, for that amazing uh, work he did on our theme song. Amazing. Also, the great Dakota Galvin on handling our social medias. And uh, again, you for listening to it. So, you know, tell us what you like. I mean, reach out to our social medias and tell us what you like. I mean, I'd love to hear. uh, I eventually want to work our way around the world with all the kind of different topics. So this one just really kind of jumped out at me and I wanted to cover it. And uh start our our new year with a uh, a two-parter i think i think this two-parter as well the uh theme song fits the best for oh my god yes you know yeah yes. eerie going into it i like it yes it's hard and sets the mood yes so again thank you everybody for listening and uh catch up with us next week for part two to be continued to be continued <laughs>